Welcome back to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast, where we share our passion for... I can't do this. Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm our co-host, Bob Serrell. With me, as always, professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at everyonesacriticpodcast.com. We're also at ihatecritics.net, or ihatecritics.com as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to support the podcast. We are on all the social media platforms, or most of them. Our handle is CriticsPod. Our T Public page, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, you know, uh, you can find my passionate uh, discourse on film. <laughs> Geeks.me, horrid.blogspot.com. <laughs> And Jeff, where can people get your art? JeffLasseter.com is my website. That's got links to all my uh, my Etsy, my TeePublic. I'm still doing TeePublic because there's no other option at this point. So, Yeah. You can get all those links uh, in our show notes, including our social media links, YouTube, etc. I just uh, bought one of Jeff's paintings. That's what he was telling yes. me. Yes. My Pedro Pascal daddy print. I saw that one. And then I had to, then I was walking around the movie theater carrying it <laughs> I took it with me to Oppenheimer. <laughs> <How>? Pascalheimer. <laughs> How about the movie theaters this weekend? Other than the movie Jeff saw, packed. Everything yeah. was in just beyond packed. The concession people looked like they didn't know what they were in what what was going on. <laughs> well, you can thank Regal for that. Oh, Some really? of that. I mean, well, Rigo closed. Well, I know they closed, but like three people would go there. That's why they closed. <laughs> Josh well, and I mean, you two others. <laughs> you weren't going to get through Barbenheimer weekend with just three people at Regal. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I know. But this I, this weekend was the worst weekend they could have possibly closed. Mm. They did yeah. nobody any favors with that. Yeah, it was like Mario Brothers all over again. Only there's two of them. <laughs> uh, I mean, even all, all three movies I saw, I saw as early as possible, uh, except for Barbie and Busy. Like, I saw the nine thirty showing of Cobweb, and it was like the theater was packed. I'm not my theater, but all the other theaters were just like packed. I didn't even know Cobweb had come out. <laughs> you know, I, if it had. If it had not been for a couple of the horror people that I follow on Twitter, I'm sorry, X, whatever the fuck it's called. Um, on Thursday, I found out it was coming out. And then I was like, oh, that'll never come to our theater. And then when I walked into Barbie on Thursday night, it was like, oh, Cobweb. Huh. I think I don't, I'm not sure, but I think they may have like canceled some of the shows on Sunday because I saw Oppenheimer in the same theater I saw Cobweb in and there were no showings for Cobweb until like three o'clock. Well, let's start so, there. Tell us about Cobweb. Uh, Cobweb is the a story of a young boy who ha- lives in a really dark house and is bullied by kids at school because his parents are so weird. And he hears knocking on the wall on the other side of his bedroom wall. And he wonders what it is. And so he's trying to sleep and it scares him. So he runs into his parents' room and then 
They're like, no, it's nothing. It's fine. And he, the next night, he hears his name being called from behind the wall. And his parents, uh, his mother is played by Lizzie Kaplan, who seems to have really taken the Annie Wilkes role to heart that she did in uh, the Stephen King miniseries on Hulu, Castle Rock. Uh, she's particularly weird, and he's got a teacher who is worried about him because he does a painting of him in his bed and somebody's whispering, help me. And everything else is black. And so she goes to the house and the mother acts really super weird. They lock this kid in the basement and then all hell breaks loose. Um, this movie should have been an October release. It takes place at Halloween. It's genuinely scary. And it's a, seemingly very low budget horror movie with some pretty menacing characters. The parents, Lizzie Kaplan and I can't think of his name, but he plays outlander on, um, or homelander on, uh, the boys. He's got that really weird mouth. And then when he smiles, it's just, I, he's so disconcerting. And he's, <laughs> all, I mean, he play, he plays that well here too. So, um, and it's it's about about halfway through you think you've kind of figured out what's going on but that's not really what's what's actually going on so so it's good lots of gore yeah i liked it a lot i it was better to me than like you know the insidious the red door it was a scarier movie than that um you genuinely because it's not a franchise movie, you generally know that nobody has main character powers <laughs> and anybody could die. So, you know, I mean, there's a there's a few points where you think this kid might actually end up dead at the end of the movie. Um, you know, you think that it's one thing, it's not. And it's and it takes a couple twists like Barbarian. Oh, nice. You know, where you're not where you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. And that's what makes it scary. And the gore is good. It The only thing that I've had a kind of problem with, it's a little too dark in spots. Um, and I know that I thought it might've been me because I had a lot of projector problems that morning. Like the curtains weren't fully open. And then when they finally got the curtains open or they, or they didn't actually open the curtains, they just kind of resized the movie. <laughs> I'm sitting there, sitting there watching it, like go shrink from the top and the bottom a little bit and come in. And then, then the lights kept coming on. So <laughs> nice. I thought it was, I thought it was just my projection, but it was actually a lot of people are saying that um, people are having such a hard time seeing this movie because Lionsgate just dumped it. I never saw a trailer for it. I never heard about it nothing until phil nobile jr mentioned it on twitter on thursday and i was like oh well we'll never get it and there it was so <laughs> the worst. was my job to know this stuff and i had no idea it came out so yeah. <laughs> the worst I don't, possibly I don't. gonna jump it in <laughs> yeah and I, I that's what that's what got me is like i don't know what lionsgate was doing with it it's like my first thought was elon musk bought lionsgate um <laughs> but no, it's just it was it's a solid movie. Takes place at Halloween. I don't know why they didn't have it in October. Mm. That seems like the you know the smart thing to do, but I don't know. I was put a uh, I I guess uh, I wasn't excited about it because I I mean I was looking for it. I just didn't know it was coming this weekend. But I I read 
I read I read Roger Ebert's website still every day. They've got tremendous mm-hmm. critics over there. They gave it a one star review. Uh, Monica Castillo uh, called it basically said that Scooby Doo episodes had more suspense than Cobweb sustains while getting to getting its answers, which I, I, I no. <laughs> I, I some and, and present company excluded. Some reviewers will just shit on horror movies because they they make money and they are not you know necessarily prestige movies. Um, with the exception of a twenty four, that that's just simply not true. It was it was a really good tight little horror movie. It wasn't a long one. It wasn't you know. They didn't take a hundred years to explain what was actually going on. Like some of them. Um, I, if you get a chance to see it, see it. I think they, they may, they may as well have dumped it on VOD though. Right. For as little, you know, like it's not playing in LA, but it's playing in the Valley. Um, uh, yeah. I've seen a couple of my friends were like, wait, what, where is this movie? What is it? What's going on? I've never heard of it. It's in Davenport. So, yeah. <laughs> do you think Sean would I, like it? I do. I can't even find this movie on I am on on Box Office Mojo in the top rankings for box. No, office. it didn't even. It did not even make the top ten because again, it was dumped twenty on Barbenheimer weekend. It didn't even make the top twenty. I'm not surprised. I am not surprised. They dumped this movie. Gave it absolutely no like marketing whatsoever. And uh, it, the release of Terrifier made more money than Cobweb. Yeah. Well, because everybody was talking about that and the studio was, you know, talking about it. And they just did a real big disservice to this movie. That sucks. Well, you mentioned A24. Did you see that they're going to go ahead and make some more movies and actually be able to do it during the strike? I think you shared it on Facebook. That's how I saw yeah, it. I shared it on our page on Facebook. Um, A24 basically said, okay, we'll, we, you know, we'll abide by the terms of your your contract negotiations. And so SAG-AFTRA is like, okay, cool. Well, if anybody wants to make a movie for A24, go for it. So they're still in production. Which is huge because I think, again, I've, I don't know if I'm quoting you or somebody else, but it proves that, you know, a little studio like them can afford it, but these big studios can't. Uh, it's just a bunch of bullshit. So it's kind of exciting. If, I think somebody also posted on Twitter that, or on Facebook or somewhere, that if the studio heads gave up like 0.25% of their pay they would fund they could fund everything that they're asking for absolutely can you can either of you tell me what robert Iger did to make to earn 40 million dollars for disney last year i'm just curious well if you listen to star wars fans he just tanked the whole franchise um no he i don't know i honestly don't know um aside from keeping kathleen kennedy on i can't tell you what he did that has advanced anything um let me ask you this then what did he do that didn't involve people actually making things on behalf of his company that, that he did? I mean, if he just chopped $30 million off of his salary right now, that's over with. It's done. We can fund, we can pay the writers. 
and the actors. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, wasn't he the one who said that we should wait? We should wait the actors out because it's possible. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know him. if it was him. I could have swore it was the Disney guy. Maybe. Yeah, not. I don't know. Well, who's the guy that ruined HBO Max and a million Zaslav? Zaslav, yeah. yeah. And uh, that guy actually ruined shit and makes a shit ton of money. <laughs> well, and somebody today, uh, I have, well, we had it on Twitter. We had a DM on Twitter. It was a little group of us little homos that love Scream. And we're trying to migrate it over to Instagram because Blue Sky doesn't have DMs yet. And one of us, <laughs> one of us said they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about Twitter and how they, ha- you know, it's called X now, and everybody's like, uh, "I'm still going to call it Twitter." And then somebody said, "Just like I'm going to call Max HBO Max," and I made the point: look, Max is Cinemax, always <laughs> has been, always will be. That is true. So that that guy completely fucked up all the goodwill that I had towards HBO Max. Well, and he That's- fucked up other app. Wasn't there a Discovery thing he messed up too? Well, basically what he's doing is uh, with the HBO Max, HBO Max, whatever, he is kind of putting like the reality shit like below decks or whatever, that kind of that kind of programming ahead of the more prestige stuff Um, to the point where like I I'm not I don't care to watch The Bachelor or whatever these shows are, you know, Real Housewives. I I literally know these aren't on that, but I couldn't tell you what Discovery has besides like Naked and Afraid. Is that even on there? I don't know. Um, But he's prioritizing that kind of stuff over, you know, say like if The Sopranos were coming out today, he would be like, well, no, we got to make, you know, Love is Blind season 15 first. We can't we can't be putting money towards some gangster drama. So that's the kind of stuff he's doing. Yeah. If you do, you, if you do want to make a dent in this, you can just dump your HBO max. Truly go to a movie theater, support those movies, but don't, don't get HBO max and get off of Netflix too, while you're at it. If you can, because honestly, I mean, those people, Netflix is never going to back down. I don't think there's a, they don't have enough, resources they know they're i mean they're already kind of in in trouble with their model <laughs> as it is well and a lot of the seg after people are saying don't cancel your streaming yeah. services yet you know we'll tell you when when that becomes a thing because we're still in a good position i i canceled netflix months ago just because they were like oh we're gonna raise the prices again and i there wasn't anything exciting coming out um you know, Max, HBO Max. I I want to watch the the second season of Just Like That, but not enough to resubscribe. So I guess I'll just have to find it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I kept them just because, like you said, the union said to keep them. But uh, I'm curious. I mean, the big thing that once they have to start releasing numbers, that'll be interesting. You know, that's. In order for this to work, yeah. in order for the unions to get what they want, they're going to have to start releasing numbers, and I, I'm interested when that happens. But if not, we can just watch A24 movies forever, and I'm okay with that, too. <laughs> Maybe Florence Pugh will come back from Midsommar, too. Let's not do a sequel. Let's do a brand new original idea. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. 
Barbie. Barbie, uh, directed by Greta Gerwig, co-written by her and Noah Baumbach, and starring Greta Gerwig, or starring a, a foreign, no, Margot Robbie. Robbie, that's it, and uh, Ryan Gosling. And uh, Barbie uh, in the real world here, after she starts to experience some weird things happening in Barbie land, where she starts, their, her feet go flat, her shower is cold, she falls off her roof, and uh, she's told by weird Barbie, Kate McKinnon, that someone who's been playing with her in the real world is having a crisis. And if she can solve that crisis, things can go back to normal. But it really isn't that simple. Uh, and what we find is that Barbie's kind of getting to have uh, an experience, sort of an existential crisis in the real world, trying to figure out who she actually is and what it is that she actually does. And of course, she's also going to find out that the world that she thought she and her fellow Barbies had created really isn't what uh, she thought it was. Uh, a really terrific idea, a really terrific premise, and really extraordinarily well executed. This movie is hilarious from beginning to end. Uh, this cast is extraordinarily funny. I, I laughed at this movie a lot, but I also was kind of surprisingly moved by it. And I love the idea here. Normally, when you see a, like a childlike character or a naive character go from one world to another world, they end up sort of childlike, uh, childlike mind. They didn't do that here necessarily. Bar Margot Robbie's character is more kind of sad and confused, but also kind of excited when she first discovers what real emotion is like and she cries for the first time. It's both this kind of cathartic experience and also this very curious experience. Like, I kind of like having emotion. It's kind of nice. Uh, that That is a, a very unique way to approach a character like this, because, again, the simplified way to play that is just very childlike, and they didn't go that direction. I really like that. That's just one of many really smart choices. Then they have this little sort of mini plot that occurs uh, partway through the movie where one of the other characters uh, <laughs> starts to take over Barbie land and, and cause all kinds of problems. And that's a really little fun little mini story that's going on amid the, all the wonderful character stuff that Margot Robbie is doing. And I mean, just like I said, everybody in this movie is great. The little jokes about Barbie history. I mean, reintroducing everyone to Alan <laughs> so one of the best inventions of the year. I had no idea what Alan was. I'm so glad I know Alan now. That's great. Michael Sarah was awesome. Uh, like I said, this movie is hysterical and I absolutely loved it. I mean, you mentioned how it, you know, we talked about air a few weeks, months ago, and the one bad thing about that was they didn't really go hard enough at like some of the things that were wrong with Nike, but here with Mattel involved, <laughs> They do not throw, hold back any punches. I, I I loved those jokes. I thought they did a great job of, uh, I don't know, just making fun of themselves. And uh, yeah, I loved how basically Margot Robbie set everybody up to come in and steal the scene. Kate McKinnon stole the scene. Jake uh, Ryan Gosling stole every scene he was. Every, Michael Sarah, whoever the supporting actor was got to come in and own that scene and all because of the way Margot Robbie navigated throughout the whole movie I, I, and Greta Gerwig's writing and I think Noah Baumbach was involved as well I, I just I don't I was surprised at how much fun I had with this so what you just said made me think of something that I thought of Thursday night is the reason that I think Margot Robbie lets everybody play around her is she's us right. playing with that Barbie. When we, when we play with a Barbie or an action figure or someone, we put all of our experience onto that. Mm 
And she knows that people have enough life experience and can relate to playing with a toy like that, that we're interacting as us through her with all the other characters. It was like the polar opposite of Oppenheimer, but still equally as genius in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I right before you know, the weekend started, I had an employee come up to me who was like, "Have you seen the Sound of Freedom yet?" And I was like, "Nope." And at that uh. point, you just kind of whatever you don't, you don't engage. You just kind of like, well, I hope you're not going to see Barbie. I'm like, "What's wrong with Barbie?" And I'd had no idea there was people that did not want to see that. I didn't know. There was Ben Shapiro tearing it apart without having seen it. And then when I'm watching it, and it's just like, oh, my God, this is even – this isn't some man-hating, patriarchy-killing movie. It's just – it's such a smart, cute, uh, fun, but more than anything smart movie that yeah. I, I w- it's insane that anybody would find any offense in this. If nothing else, it's <laughs> – you can get a lot out of it. So one of my coworkers, um, the one who has his picture taken with Trump that hangs in his office, um, he told me on Thursday night we had a get together for one of the people's 80th birthdays, um, and I was getting ready to go. I was only going to be there for a few minutes because I was going to go see Barbie. He's like, "Oh, you're going to go see Barbie? Well, you know, my wife really wants to see that. She always loved Barbies growing up." So today he comes into my office. And it's like that scene in Misery when Kathy Bates, who's been so happy to have Paul Sheldon there, she finds out that he's like been in the house and she comes in and she's all dark and <laughs> what did you do? That's how I felt. I felt like James Conn in that situation because you told me Barbie was going to be great and my wife hated it. And I was like, why did she hate it? Well, she thought it was going to be this light bubblegum thing, you know, like playing off all the Barbies that she always played with as a kid and blah, blah, blah. And, and there's, there's, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm like, I, and they're like, in the first scene, there's little girls beating their baby dolls to death with rocks and against the, I'm like, I forgot about that. Did you not? I'm like, did you not see 2001? You never heard of homage. <laughs> I said that whole sequence was, you know, that's why at the end of the sequence, they threw the baby doll up in the air and it did the spinning thing like the bone. And then you go to Barbie land and he was just like, well, I thought they were heavy handed on the, you know, anti-man stuff. And I was like, it's not anti-man. It's pro woman. There, there are, you can be pro woman without being anti-man. And when Barbie came out, Barbie could literally be anything. And they call this out in the advertising. Ken is just Ken because Ken is there to adore Barbie. And Ken rarely, rarely has, you know, any sort of job as a Barbie doll. Um, I think they made matching Ken and Barbie Western, but I don't think he was a cowboy. I just think he was (laughs) gay. Um, Speaking of gay Barbies. They had earring magic Ken in the movie, but they didn't put the cock ring around his neck. Look up the original <laughs> earring magic Barb or Ken, and it comes with earrings that speak that spell out Barbie, and that's what he had around his neck. But the original one had a little silver ring that all the people thought was a cock ring tied around his neck. They. I was disappointed in that, but that's about the only time I was disappointed. 
I mean, I, I, love, I, I love Ryan Gosling's yes. approach and the, the way he says, my job is beach. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, with such conviction. I'll beat you off. Yeah. I was Nobody's beaching anybody that. else off. <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for the liberal propaganda that everybody was talking about. And I don't, I really don't think it's there. Like, I, it's, I, not even you really have to go look for it and apply that yourself. Uh, Women having agency is liberal propaganda. <laughs> Don't you watch the Duggars? But they could have gone a lot harder with that if they really wanted to. And I don't, oh, absolutely. I think they were very fair with the way they presented presented that. If you say patriarchy in a movie, you're automatically woke. <laughs> <laughs> But again, they could have gone harder on that too, and they they kind of did it in a more realistic way. And I mean, there was plenty for men to get out of that movie, as far oh, yeah. as I'm yeah, concerned. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and like, I had. Go ahead, Sean. I was just like uh, America Ferrara's performance was incredible. Mm-hmm. She uh, is the woman in the real world has been kind of playing with Barbie, and uh, you know, dreaming about how her and her daughter don't connect anymore uh, because her daughter's in those teenage years where they're trying to separate from the parent a little bit. And she's been playing around with Barbie and sketching her. And that's where the existential crisis comes in. And then she gets this big speech late in the movie that is actually pivotal to the plot. And one of the things that, that it kind of struck me was, this is a great idea to actually have men watch this movie because you can learn a lot about empathizing with women and understanding yep. The things that women are going through as opposed to just sort of making up in your mind what you think women are going through which is what so many men make the mistake of doing but they really do that without hating on men i mean i i don't i yeah. do not find any male hate in this movie at all not that it's but, not warranted but <laughs> <laughs> but the th- but what gets me about it is like all i had two guys who are maybe like early to mid twenties sitting next to me and they laughed throughout. They thought it was hilarious. I don't know if they were gay or straight. I think the one closest to me might've been gay, but I think that one next to him was definitely straight, but they kept talking about like, you know, like when, when Ken had all, had all the horses everywhere (laughs) and the one goes, Oh my God, it's you. (laughs) You know? And it's like, but they were laughing about it. And that's the thing that kind of gives me a little bit of hope is that, okay, yes, there are some people that hate on it because they heard on Fox news or Newsmax or one of those places that it was woke and they don't understand woke. They just think everything they don't like is woke. Um, I think that it, all of the guys with the exception of my coworker that went to see it, that I've talked to loved it. I know one person who went five times with four, four, four or like four or five different people just because they want to see it. He's like, I would absolutely see it again. I will see it again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, in the end of the day, Greta Gerwig's the MVP with this thing. She is such a fucking talented writer and director. Uh, mm-hmm. Without, I mean, I'm sure other people could have done it too, but you know, with her voice in this, she's so good at telling these kinds of stories. And I just, I don't know. I, I can't say enough about her. She really was the MVP of this. Not that anybody 
wasn't good. Everybody was fan- phenomenal, but Greta Gerwig really stood out for me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, guys- the, the people forget just this is also a really great uh, looking movie. It's mm-hmm. a, you know the production mm-hmm. design is phenomenal. The costumes are incredible, and then you've got a very smart script. You've got Helen Mirren's voiceover is one of the funniest performances in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's it's terrific yeah. every every little side, and then you've got this wonderful Rhea Perlman performance where she's playing mm-hmm. the woman who created Barbie. That is fantastic. And I, we're going to go into spoilers very briefly here just to, for the ending. Cause I do need to talk about this ending. I love the ending of this movie. I love it. I thought it was such a terrifically smart, funny swerve uh, to <laughs> set it up as they did. So the, the film ends on Barbie and she seemingly like the Barbie is now living in the real world and she's got a new family with America Ferrara and uh, her daughter and she's going you think she's going on a job interview and no she's going to the gynecologist and then you just are then forced to think about barbie yep. <laughs> and the gynecologist and what that means and the, the thing about that is what makes that so incredible is that young women and really young boys have actually often had this conversation about barbie genitalia for decades and for them to openly acknowledge that and open that conversation for people that they had when they were like 12 or 13 years old that is such a funny way to end this movie i love that two things my favorite tweet about this movie and about ben shapiro was that somebody i can't remember who said um they finally made a movie about tiny people with no genitalia and even they don't like it. And then just posted a picture of Ben Shapiro. Standing in front of the <laughs> and Helen Mirren's line, when Margot Robbie is crying and talking about how hard it is to be a Barbie. <laughs> and she goes note to the producers. It's probably not, an, not an intelligent move to have Margot Robbie talking about how hard it is to be beautiful or something. <laughs> <laughs> And I gotta say, I was reminded of something that was there was a there was a conversation on how did this get made when they were talking about the movie Mannequin Two on the Move, and they were <laughs> talking about they bar, the concept of Barbie came up, and they were and Paul Shear asked the question, "Where does the butt start?" And ever since that, I've been just kind of lost <laughs> in that question, and it always comes up anytime I think of Barbie. Now, where does the butt start? <laughs> and I mean, if you had obviously. I don't know how you do it without this being with Barbie in it, but just the fact that it's a Greta Gerwig movie, if it didn't have the IP of Barbie, we'd probably be talking about this as one of the better movies of the year, if not best movies of the year at the end of the year. And because it's Barbie, we probably won't, but we should. I mean, it really is that good. Uh, I, it, it's warrants repeat viewing. Uh, everybody should see it. It does bum me out that people have the nerve to sit and, say it's liberal propaganda or whatever that bullshit is because I think people would like it if they give it a chance and they might learn something about themselves that has nothing to do with your political beliefs but I mean the bottom line these these people are going to come out against whatever is popular because if it's popular that means that most people like it and if most people like it well they probably voting for him (laughs) you know what I can tell you one thing a hater is going to watch that movie they're just not going to tell their friends about it or they're going to take their friends and they're just not going to talk about it on the internet or whatever, but they're all going to go to see, you don't get to $180 million (laughs) the first weekend, which is 
better than any other director this year. Mm -hmm. You don't get that high without all these people who say they aren't going to watch it, watching it. Um, do you guys remember when they announced that Greta Gerwig was going to uh, direct a Barbie movie and everybody was like, oh my God, no, Greta, don't do it. Uh. Do you guys remember that? No, I didn't even know. I think that was a reasonable, it was a reasonable reaction. <laughs> I didn't want her to make a Barbie movie. I assumed that Mattel would have too much control and, and probably ruin any vision. I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad to be wrong, but I don't think that's, I don't think it was unreasonable to think that. I think one of the biggest and best surprises about this movie was the fact that Mattel was completely in on the joke against themselves. They've, you know, they've got, I think the guy who was hating on it at work today, he was telling me that I think they have like five of the executive team are women at Mattel. And I said, well then, and he was like, so I don't know why they're going this anti-man stuff. And I said, that just tells you that they're in on the joke and they know that the joke is that. And I said, and he didn't like when I said the joke is that men are always in charge of everything women do. You know, think of all the men who he, this is where he, he got pissed. So think of all the men who were in, or think of how many women were in the room and men decided to legislate women's bodies about abortion. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my last day is Friday. I don't give a fuck. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I was like, I go, remember when that was up, coming up a few years ago and there were on the committee about it, there was no women. Well, I, I said, that was the joke is that these men are the ones who are making, you know, all the decisions about how Barbie lives. But I will say this, they were making the right decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they I think just, I'll- Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. They knew that, you know, but they just thought that, oh, we got to get Barbie back in the plastic and, you know, she's going through this stuff and we'll get her back there and everything will be fine, which which it wouldn't have been, uh, even if they hadn't gotten there and Ken had taken over everything. Um, I, I, they were actually not against Barbie. They loved Barbie as a concept even. So that was even a little more refreshing for me to know that, they're in on the Mattel is in on the joke, but mm-hmm. the executives in the movie didn't want to screw up Barbie. Right. I think there's also kind so, of a, a, a subtle nod to that uh, Victoria's Secret song as well. You know that because that's a that's another piece of clever you know material. There's the the song about Victoria's Secret. He was made up by a dude. <laughs> that's Victoria's uh, Secret <laughs> owned by a guy who makes underwear for women. <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of the same kind of a similar joke and i think that's also kind of in there as well but like jeff said it the way they handled it because like he said they weren't wrong they wanted to do the right thing but then but you threw it through the eyes of will ferrell which then adds a little comedy and lightens it up a little bit i just thought it was completely brilliant this is a perfect movie (laughs) i mean Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with this movie well, and think about the fact that Will Ferrell played Elf, who another fish out of water story. So that adds another layer to the, you right. know. Yeah. I I love I loved this. I want to see it again in the theater. Um, I might just go to one movie next weekend and then see Barbie again. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I, I should go. It's my favorite movie of the weekend. Really. Ooh. I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. think if you, if you're just a casual movie goer, this is an event movie that's worth going. And it still, will be an event next week 
weekend too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably for absolutely. the next few weekends. So uh, it's worth taking your kids out to see this one. All right. And that by no means means that I do not like the other two because I thought they were both really, really well done. But I had I had the best time at Barbie. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Directed uh, wh- by Christopher wait, Nolan. wait, wait, wait. We are in the Midwest. You have to call it Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. St- We're not in Minnesota. <laughs> directed by... Christopher Nolan, written by Christopher Nolan, starring uh, Killian Murphy as uh, Dr. J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man who gave us the ability to destroy ourselves. Uh, Oppenheimer operates on a a three track of stories here. We've got uh, Oppenheimer arriving at Berkeley and uh, his time rising there, sort of his personal life in that aspect as well. You've got this uh, shift in time and in color uh, to black and white where we have uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, uh, Major Strauss, who's going through a confirmation in front of Congress to become the Commerce Secretary under Eisenhower. That's set sort of in the future. And then, of course, you've got their time at Los Alamos, where he's uh, helping, where Oppenheimer is helping to build the bomb. These three tracks of stories all do play into each other brilliantly, each commenting on the other, each enlivening the other uh, to uh, give you a full picture of who Robert Oppenheimer uh, was. And I think this movie is the key. It is the Rosetta Stone of the last 70 to 100 years of American political thought and process. Everything that, that's happened to us has happened from that flashpoint of creating the bomb and dropping the bomb. And this movie captures that in such subtle fashion by never mentioning how key it is, by never commenting directly on it, but by presenting all of these aspects about Oppenheimer's story. And how essentially, you know, the Cold War, the the arms race, it turned us into this skittish, constantly suspicious, uh, nervous country that is constantly on edge. And we're constantly on edge because they put us on edge some, you know, 75 years ago. Uh, It's really fascinating in that way. But it's also fascinating just as a story itself, because you've got this story unfolding in front of Congress with. Robert Downey Jr., who's delivering this incredible performance, arguably the best performance of his career, like right up there with what he did in Zodiac, like just some of the best work he's ever done, uh, slowly revealing this character who is like essentially the Salieri to Oppenheimer's Mozart, (laughs) the guy who wishes he he had that history and that respect that Oppenheimer has and could could never have it. Uh, it. It's really exciting to watch that as it unfolds it also has an element of mystery to that because it, again it is slowly unfolding exactly what happened between strauss and oppenheimer in such a brilliant way uh then you've got of course uh, oppenheimer uh is his personal life he's got two women he's got his wife emily blunt you and his lover uh played by florence Pugh, who we met first uh gene tatlock who is a, a tragic beautiful figure there's been some controversy in that because she does a lot of nudity and there's a you know a very a couple sex scenes in this movie. I feel those scenes are incredible. I think they're both entirely necessary in terms of revealing who he is, in terms of his passion, in terms of how he, he, he works as a passionate person because you don't see a lot of passion in Killian Murphy's performance. This is so revealing of, of who he really is. This is the puzzle piece you need to unlock the other parts of the movie. The nudity is, as much as it's right there in front of you, it's also metaphoric. You've got the opening scene of her being completely vulnerable and nude, 
and him not. And then you've got the second scene where they're both nude and both fully revealed, all cards on the table. It's a great metaphor. It's not subtle, but it's a great metaphor. And it works, and it reveals. Uh, again, it's so many great things in this movie. Uh, operating you know, in the background of this is Edward Teller, who is the actual guy on whom much of Dr. Strangelove, which we'll talk about later, is based on. It's Edward Teller. Uh, and he, there he is, you know, kind of bubbling under in the background, uh, who he is actually the one who's going to go on and do far more evil based off of what Oppenheimer helped put into motion. Teller's the one who goes on to actually create the H-bomb and then Star Wars. He's responsible for Star Wars, the, the Reagan thing. Like, he goes on to cause the Cold War to go on as long as it does. I mean, there's so many incredible things in this movie I, I i absolutely adore this film it's the best movie christopher nolan's ever made by far uh <clears throat> killian murphy is probably gonna win an oscar Robert johnny jr is probably gonna win an oscar florence Pugh and emily blunt will probably get nominated uh i don't know i, I this was phenomenal i i've always you know i i've not been a huge christopher nolan fan in the past I, on a technical level, I think he's one of the best. I always had a problem with the storytelling, but here that's not an issue at all. Uh, it's the way he uses the bomb and sound and explosions really make, like, you know what happens, and you still, while they're testing it, you're worried he's going to blow up the world, even though you know he doesn't. Mm -hmm. We're here watching the movie. Uh, that he does such a great job of uh, just making this three-hour movie uh, not have you checking your watch. Like, I'm not checking my watch the whole time. And if I am, it's more about, oh, great, there's still another hour. This is, <laughs> I'm loving this. That was kind of where I was at with it. Uh, one thing that usually turns me off is when there's a big age gap between actors. And this is one of the, especially when there's love scenes involved, but Killian Murphy plays such a wide variety of uh, Oppenheimer's age here that it's kind of okay a little bit in this movie compared to some other movies. Like, I can get behind it a little bit more than I normally would. And plus, Florence Pugh is capable of playing a wide variety of ages, too. So it's a little less awkward for me than in other movies. Uh, but... I don't know. I, I just... This movie will piss you off beyond... Beyond... Unimaginably. And then, at the same time, as historical figures pop in and out of this movie, uh, it's just fun to watch. And unlike Barbie, where, you know, as Margot Robbie walks through the scenes, everybody comes and steals the scene... Nobody steals a scene from Killian Murphy. They're there to accelerate him or accent him. Uh, he mm -hmm. is phenomenal in this movie. I mean, I didn't know he could act like this. <laughs> and I knew he was a decent actor, but this was a hell of a performance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I, um, <laughs> I, Killian Murphy, sometimes he, he's, like 100% does it for me. Sometimes he just like, there's something about him that repels me, but this movie, he, every scene he was in, I, you just had his sympathies. Even when he was, 
he got that bug when they were doing the test and he suddenly was like, you know, he went from kind of questioning things and listening to uh, uh, David Crumholz's character about, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, want my knowledge of physics and everything to lead to mass destruction. And, you know, he, you could see him kind of running that through, but then when it was, when Matt Damon kept saying, you know, do it for your country, you know, that you're, this is the only way, you know, what if they get one? You could see he's like, okay, I'll do it for that. But then that moment when they test it and you just see him take that turn, like his ego just is the atom bomb there. You know, it's just like it explodes. And then as quickly as it explodes, it kind of dissipates and comes back in and, you know, um, to beat a, an analogy to death. Um, <laughs> but, you know, his hubris in that scene is kind of like where you, you, for a minute you turn, you're like, Oh, I don't like this guy after all, you know, he's not doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it because he just wants to be the best. And then you see when he, when he turns back and he's like, Oh, I can't believe this. And then he sees the destruction. That to me is the best five minutes of the movie. Yes. Is him, him going through every gamut of emotions from, I still don't think this is right. Oh my God, we did it. I'm so great. And then he sees people's skin burning off in his imagination and then everybody's gone and you just see him. That's where he turns for the rest of the movie. Yes. So that whole scene where he's given the speech or whatever, and they're, they're cheering. And then you go through where you're, he's imagining them crying and the skin burning off and everything going on that you're right. That's one of the best scenes of the year. Uh, Absolutely, I it is so phenomenal. Uh, what I love about about the performance and his motivation too is that there's this there's this little part of of Oppenheimer that he just wants to do this to see if he can do it. He knows there's a problem. He knows that if he does it, this could be you know this is incredibly dangerous. But there's that that part of him he can't deny that he just wants to see if he's capable of it. And that part is sort of gets him over a lot of humps when it comes to the moral and philosophical debates uh, that he ends up getting into eventually. And then of course, afterwards he becomes this, you know, an advocate for, for arms treaties. And uh, again, <laughs> we don't, there's that another phenomenal scene where they're talking about how, where they're going to drop it. And that scene where they're going to put the bombs when they decide on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, one of the characters, a member of the cabinet, Tribunet's cabinet, says, well, I don't want to drop it on Kyoto. My wife and I vacationed there, and it was really lovely. I mean, that is that is one of the ugliest and hor- most horrific things I've ever heard a book, character in a movie say. You're going to kill hundreds of thousands of people, but not there because you vacationed there one time. And there are like, four or five scenes like that in this movie. Yeah. The Truman meeting, where he's, yeah. oh my God, I just wanted to... It just makes you hate people. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need Gary Oldman though to play uh, Stalin in the movie now. That way we can <laughs> the, the Gary Oldman, the you know, Trinity. <laughs> he can make a Eddie Murphy style movie where he plays <laughs> Churchill, Truman, and Stalin. But that's another point: is like everybody in this movie is more famous than Killian Murphy, and yeah, and they're like a list famous. And they don't come off that way, you know. You're not you're not distracted. The, probably the most would be Matt Damon, I guess. But even that, 
you know, you just it's brief and you move on. You're really not distracted by any movie stars in this. It really the story and everything with it uh, plays out so well that I don't know. I, I love the scene at the end too with Albert Einstein. That was that yeah. Was, that was a great scene too. Tom Conti, fantastic. Uh, the the really thing that that hit home to me though is just. It, what it all comes down to is that we have human beings making these decisions based upon ego, based upon their gut instinct. And, you know, one of the things that came about over the past, you know, 70 years is that idea of gut instinct and making that decision based on, you know, what you think is right as opposed to what the experts say. You, you've got experts telling you, like, we're probably we should probably be doing an, an arms treaty now just you know to, and to get everybody to not do this and then of course they go no nah, we, we think detente's better we think uh, everybody having the weapon and deciding not to kill each other that's a better way to do it no it's not <laughs> we could have ended the cold war in night in 1951 we could have ended the cold war with the arms treaty eisenhower wanted to do it when he was president and <laughs> no uh edward teller actually the guy who killed it <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody in this movie it's not even they're making the decisions based on maintaining their power you know the whole point of Robert Downey Jr's the Strauss's story is about him maintaining his power or gaining power uh, yeah. and that's what all these guys do and have been for the last forever uh, and it's just so sickening uh, like Sean mentioned, those scenes, uh, you almost want to throw up or laugh. You know, it's so it's so f- crazy the things they say, but I believe that I believe every word of it. Yeah, you've got Strauss basically making making decisions based on his ego throughout. I mean, what we're talking about when they start talking about actually about the the arms treaty or about where they drop the bomb, where they're you know they're talking about all those things about developing the H bomb. It comes down to he met Oppenheimer a few years earlier, and Oppenheimer said a lowly shoe salesman. He goes, "Well, a shoe salesman," because he couldn't take yeah. the idea that he said lowly. Like that sticks in the back of his head. Then they, you know, he thinks that uh, he said something. Einstein blows him off as he's walking away, and he assumes that Oppenheimer was talking to Einstein about him, and they weren't. But his his ego won't let him think that they were talking about him. Uh, and that character being so pivotal in those big decisions about the H bomb and about the treaty. And I mean, and again, just it's that human element that we're trusting people to put aside what they, their, you know, their own self-interest in order to see what's best for everybody and not being able to do it. That's the story of Strauss. That's even the story of Oppenheimer in many ways, these men who could see these big picture directly in front of them, but they couldn't see exactly what it was, this visionary future that they were supposed to see. Uh, it's really fascinating, and again, uh, our other movie, our classic, actually has the same theme. Right. Well, you mentioned the human element. I'll let Jeff go as soon as I'm done. But I mean, both Barbie and this movie—they're like the perfect movies to come out together because the human element plays such a role in both <laughs> movies. I—I uh, I don't know. I just even like Oppenheimer, he's not a perfect person, uh, and oh. he's a genius, but he's also a little he's he's got his flaws he's got his things that are wrong with him uh i don't know it's it just it is scary 
it really i when they called this a horror movie i get why you would would you you would say that yeah i I, one of the it for me it was all the people that had a role it was like watching like one of those old Irwin allen disaster movies you know because everybody who has a speaking part in it is you know has done big stuff or you know it was really famous at one point like josh hartnett yeah i i did have to get up to go to the bathroom at one point and i pulled out my phone as i was walking out of the theater to pull up imdb to see if that was him because i was like no way he aged that well well he did uh <laughs> you know ben, benny safty mm-hmm. you know this is the second movie we've seen with him in a couple months and you know, aside from being a great director, he's really <laughs> a really good actor. Uh, you know, that, that all the little supporting parts, um, it took me a while to recognize the guy who played uh, Frank Oppen- Oppenheimer. Sorry, I've, I've been doing that all day <laughs> as a joke, and now I'm starting to do it. Um, the guy who played his brother, uh unrecognizable from the last time I saw him in Halloween kills. You know, I was like, all these people you just kind of recognize. And then you get like Oscar winners to come in and do like five lines, like Robbie Malik, you know, which that was one of the most satisfying parts of the oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was just like, Oh, thank God. Cause See, I didn't know that, anything was, about yeah. Strauss. I was that that whole Roger Ebert uh, economy of characters thing hit me like Robbie Malik there. He's coming back. He's coming back. But I yeah, didn't know yeah. Hey, I know it's but it, it was still it was so good. That was such a great, smart piece of casting. The way that they used him, the way they seed him in earlier and you see him and like, oh, that's Robbie Malik. He's got to come back. And then he does. There he is. And yeah. it's important. Those terrific, tremendous, tremendous piece of work that. Well, then the Emily Blunt, where she kind of goes like Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny at the end, where she's—that <laughs> mm-hmm. was a great scene. I just, I, I took our whole family went, my even my eleven-year-old, and I don't know, he loved this movie the whole time. He's, I, I don't know, he he had been watching stuff on YouTube about it, so he kind of knew a lot about it going in. Uh, this was probably the most fun talking about a movie with my kid I've ever had. And it was way more advanced than I thought he was capable of. Uh, so it was, that was kind of, then my daughter who's much older was like, do we have to go to movies where we learn things? <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't take her to Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> we went to Barbie first. Uh, okay. uh, but, the thing that, that, that lasts with me and, and, and it goes into our classic as well is that the people keep forgetting like, I know the Cold War ended in you know the early 90s with the fall of the USSR and whatnot, but we're all still under the specter of of, of annihilation. Like the the atomic football is still a thing, and the nuclear football is still a thing. Like we can still drop bombs at a at a button push. I mean, and yeah. it's it's that sort of Damocles over all of our heads. And like during the Cold War, it was all anybody could talk about. And since then, we've all tried to kind of forget that that's out there, but it is still out there. Uh, and it could still happen. <laughs> it's bizarre to me that, that we all don't like, we all try to just turn our heads and go, like, no, no, the nuclear codes. I'm not worried about that. I mean, they're just sitting in Trump's uh, you know, bathroom or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a joke. 
you know. <laughs> bed, bath, bed, bed, bath, and beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> but I mean, that's like we're it's literally punchline. It, and <laughs> meanwhile, that could end the world, but who cares? You know, it's kind of the, <laughs> what's the headline. Yeah, I mean, that was some of the conversation we had on the way home, and it was just like, uh, I mean, basically all of our nukes pointed at each other, more or less, <laughs> so hopefully nothing ever happens. <laughs> but I'll well, the, you know what? There's all those there nukes are... that, they, that they just sort of lost in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, just kind of went missing. Still don't know where those are. <laughs> well, those got sold to Dubai and... How do you think Jared Kushner got $2 billion? Um, when when they were talking about, well, we could possibly, maybe, start a chain reaction that never stops and incinerate all life on Earth. I'm like, ooh, can we try that next? But that scene with him and Matt Damon where he's like, yeah. you know, there's a chance. He's like, almost zero. You know, another great scene where they're... And, that whole time, I mean, I'm waiting for the window to blow and start to stab that guy in the face. I'm waiting, you know, that that scene was intense where they did the testing. And then the sound editing on that was phenomenal. Mm. Uh, I, the whole thing. If there's one thing, I, I, I get and there probably just wasn't time for it, but there were two guys that died on the uh, Manhattan Project uh, putting that bomb together, and they don't mention that. Uh, they yeah. died from radiation poisoning while they were trying to build the bomb. I, I would have at least liked a reference to that, but I understand why they didn't. Yeah. Anything else on Oppenheimer before we move on to our classic? I I don't really know what... I mean, there's a lot of people saying something about uh, they should have shown, you know, the the Japanese side, uh, you know, showing the reaction at Hiroshima and whatnot. And it's like, this is about you know, Oppenheimer and his perspective. And he actually didn't, you know, he wasn't like watching this happen. He was, he was actually hearing about it happening on the radio, uh, which is really what happened. They didn't tell him when they were dropping it. Uh, he just knew where they were going to drop it. Uh, so that was, I, I don't know. It's, I find that it just people seem to be looking for something to be upset about. Uh, that, that seems to happen a lot. Uh, there was somebody who, Saying one of the dumbest discourses I saw on Twitter was like, I was I was hoping that this movie would lead us to a new generation of kids wanting to be physicists. Huh? <laughs> yeah, the same. Oh wait, Barbie, you're talking about the, Barbie. Okay. The same, <laughs> the same, uh, they say they were saying like the social network made me want to go into tech. I was hoping this would make people want to go into physics, and I'm like, wow, you missed the point of the social network yeah, no first shit. of all. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I'm hoping this will make a generation of people not want to create things that can destroy all of humanity. That'd be a good way to be inspired. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a very human movie about people who have way too much power and how pedestrian they truly are. Even oh, the yeah. geniuses, you know, we're not that far apart, and they're just people. It's fucked up. It's just weird and scary and uh but fascinating at the same time all right dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb 
Yes, directed by Stanley Kubrick, 1964, uh, uh, co-written by Terry Southern and Stanley Kubrick. Uh, and <laughs> this movie is like just the perfect companion to, to Oppenheimer because it's basically what Kubrick did in 1964 was basically like what Oliver Stone tried to do with W. He actually took what was happening in the moment and shoved it right in your face. Uh, now, obviously, W didn't succeed in doing that. They just completely failed. But uh, in terms of timeliness, this happened in the midst of of our whole, you know, the Cold War thing that's taking place. Uh, and and Kubrick takes the absolute worst case scenario of what could happen with a nuclear bomb and goes, here, take a look. If one guy loses his fucking mind, <laughs> we could all fucking die. And I'm not kidding. And it's like a lot. It's it's hardcore satire. Like there's a lot of very funny things about this movie. And a lot of it is intended to be just darkly comic. But it's also like, hey, no, this is realistic. One fucking moron who thinks that the Russians are after our precious bodily fluids can just go. I'm going to bomb Russia and end the world to save us all. And that was a realistic possibility that really everybody was trying their best to ignore. And that's what makes this movie so fucking incredible. And it comes back again to that human element, trusting human beings to be in charge of something that could destroy the entire world is the dumbest thing we've ever done in human history. <laughs> Giving ourselves the ability to, to just blow up the planet, just eliminate all of humanity is a very stupid decision. And this movie is the is the the thesis statement on that idea uh just absolutely brilliant i mean you've got and of course the general's name the unsubtle bit of satire jack t ripper <laughs> brilliant mm -hmm. the president merkin muffley <laughs> i mean come on he's a, he's a fake and a pussy <laughs> you know general turgidson i mean come on it's just fucking genius just genius throughout but then you've got these multiple tracks of story going on you've got him and Mandrake, you've got ripper and mandrake on the on the base you've got the war room and then you've got the plane and there are no jokes in the plane you've got slim pickens there and he's kind of an odd character but there are really no jokes on the bomber because he wants you to see what these guys are about to do is quite serious and they're capable of doing it and they're going to end up doing it the jokes are everywhere else, <laughs> especially in the war room, which is, has a number of very funny, stupid things where you're watching the supposed leaders of the free world make complete asses of themselves at the worst possible moment. And I can't help but think of how many war rooms have actually happened that have been this stupid. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it. Well, it, there's, there's the Bush years. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean. Take a movie like Spinal Tap, and every rock band has their Spinal Tap moment. But it's just rock bands. You know, none of it matters. They don't have nuclear <laughs> weapons. It's the same thing. They're, this stuff probably happens in real life. Lines like there's no fighting in the war room. It's just it's the stupidest, funniest thing. But at the same time, it's like, but they're the ones controlling the world. <laughs> and it's so... I don't know. This is a genius movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, this one even pops up as one of my favorite Kubrick ones. Like, he, I love all of his movies, but this one often 
makes its way to the top of my list that moves around with Kubrick. But uh, I love watching this movie. It's, it's so watchable, but it's, uh, just so good. Jeff, you saw it for the first time, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, my very favorite part of it was the fact that Slim Pickens came in and did his role last and play. They didn't tell him it was a comedy. They only gave him his sides. Mm-hmm. So he played it completely straight. So even though he's one of the funnier characters in the movie, it's just because he's talking like Slim Pickens and he wasn't <laughs> doing an act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think it was James Earl Jones who said that he asked somebody because Slim Pickens was just talking the way Slim Pickens does mm-hmm. uh, offset. And he's like, why is he just in character or what? And somebody said, no, that's just how he talks in real life. <laughs> so, uh, no, I thought it, I thought it was good. I I was, when I was like, oh, I hope we're recording tomorrow night because I think it's like a three-hour movie, isn't it? Sorry. No, it was like an hour and a half. No, no, no. I thought it was like, and I, I thought it was three hours. It was an hour and a half. I was like, oh, all right, cool. Um, but, no, I... I've never seen it. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I knew that Peter Sellers played multiple roles in it. Um, I was surprised to see that he played the very first person on, you know, like right there. Um, <laughs> I'd never seen anything with Sterling Hayden except for nine to five when he was really old. Uh, so that was kind of, that was kind of cool. And he reminds me of somebody so much that I, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Anyway, uh, no, I, I, it didn't seem like a Kubrick film to me from what I, you know, the ones that I watch anyway. Uh, so I, that was a, that was a nice surprise. Well, that's the thing it's, with Kubrick is it's so, all those movies, once you start to see a lot of them, they're all so vastly different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very true. I mean, yeah, I love that, uh, this is a movie and kind of throws an interesting light on 2001. It kind of makes you wonder if like this, Kubrick was actually planning on leaving the planet. <laughs> like, let me make an experiment to see if we can figure a way to get out of here. <laughs> oh, my, that, that scene, though, at the end with Dr. Strangelove talking about the mines. And if we go into the mines, we could possibly live out the whole nine. We could possibly rebuild <laughs> humanity underground for 90 years. And there, of course, should be 10 women for every man. <laughs> and George C. Scott steals a lot of the movie too. He's phenomenal oh, yeah. in this. That's been one of the great things about this podcast is seeing George C. Scott so much. As much as we didn't like hardcore uh or even the burning, uh the 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 uh he him and Patton, him and uh uh him and uh Exorcist uh, Three. Exorcist Three, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just been incredible. Even moments of hardcore are pretty good. Right. That was just I, I, he's pretty Paul Schrader is just he's a hit and miss. <laughs> he likes to take chances and he's not afraid to make the worst move of all time either. It's it's very funny. Uh he he's he's incredible. Uh the moments that he has where he's almost he's almost kind of proud of General Ripper for taking the <laughs> initiative that he does. He actually actually catch himself and kind of dial back. Oh, well, no, no. I mean, you know, this is not a good thing, of course, but I'm pretty proud of it. It's great that you can do this. But these are imaginary that, characters. These are just heightened <laughs> real life yeah. characters. That's what's so frustrating about it. Uh, 
it, it's a horror movie in that way. Like I said, I do believe they based this off of Kubrick and Southern thinking about the absolute worst case scenario when it comes to the possibility of how how nukes could get dropped. I think they were legitimately considering the worst case scenario. And this indeed was that worst case scenario, because I believe that everything in this movie is absolutely based in a certain part of reality of how the chain of command works. And chain of command is actually, I mentioned this in my review, it's the perfect uh, analogy for this because what's, you know, a chain is only as good as its weakest link. And well, Sterling Hayden's general ripper is that weakest link that breaks this chain of command Mm -hmm. in our, in our nuclear weapons and ends up dropping the bomb. It's fantastic that way. Uh, It's such a, such a brilliant film. And it's just so subtle in that way, even as so much of the humor isn't subtle. Yeah, exactly. Anything else on Dr. Strange Love before we move on? I did write about it. I've got a review of that. Barbie and Oppenheimer all up on uh, geeks.media and uh, on Twitter at podcast Sean. So you can actually, you can read as well as, you know, have us have heard us talk about it. It's definitely a good week to see movies for me. <laughs> Uh, 1993, another stakeout, Coneheads, Poetic Justice. What are you guys talking about, Coneheads? Uh, no, actually, we, we pivoted again. Uh, we, right. just couldn't, we couldn't get to Coneheads, so we went with Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Uh, oh, so that, that one is with the Rookie of the Year, uh, and Robin Hood will be next week. Uh, Coneheads, I, I didn't see if it was available or not, but I love Coneheads back, when, back in the day. I thought it was just incredibly funny. Uh, I don't know if it holds up or not. Uh, 30 years later but at the time it came out i i was not a fan of 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 that uh sketch on saturday night live i thought it, i thought the whole coneheads thing on snl was kind of dumb but i thought the movie there are just moments of such sheer lunatic invention that i just really appreciated it at the time i loved another stakeout when it came out <laughs> and i don't remember Poetic <laughs> justice i remember seeing it but i don't remember if i liked it or not Poetic Justice, Tupac Shakur, and uh, Janet Jackson. Uh, very romantic, uh, well-acted, uh, kind of lovely. Great soundtrack. Next week, Talk to Me, Haunted Mansion, The Baker, our classic is The Hand, and uh, what do we got? Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Rising Sun, Soy Married, and Axe Murderer. Yeah, Jeff, uh, what what is The Hand? Um, it's a uh, Michael Caine stars and it's from like, I think 1980 81. and 81 and he loses a hand and it comes back to take revenge. So it's like the proto idle hands. <laughs> yeah. But with Michael Caine. So, <laughs> so is this all as good? <laughs> is this the Oliver Stone movie? Is this Oliver Stone directed that? Or did he write I it? I think, he I think he just wrote it. Um, yeah. I, now I'm recalling it. I think Nathan Raymond wrote about it on the, on his website not all that long ago. Yeah, I own it, but I've, I haven't watched it yet. Um, comic book artist loses his hand, which in turn takes on a murderous life of its own. Which, of course, so, it, Talk to Me has the uh, hand in it that is the, the center of that yeah. plot. Makes sense. And Oliver Stone did direct it, and he was a co-writer on it. All right, so it's going to suck. Either that or we're going to get to see what it's like to be on drugs. 
All right. Do we want to run Dr. Strangelove through Flickchart, or do you guys need to get going? Yeah, let's go. Let's do that, and then we'll crash it. We'll call it. Because I do have dogs to take care of. <laughs> okay. My temporary dog. Shut up! Ooh. And the hand also has Mara Hopel, who played Christina, young Christina and uh, Mommy Dearest the year before. You guys go ahead without me. <laughs> I'll be right back. All right. Hopefully the internet lets me pull these movies up. <laughs> all right. I'm just going to start Flickchart all over again. Doctor Strange Love. Okay, Doctor Strange Love, Fast and the Furious 6. Doctor Strange Love. Agreed. Oh, I'm not sharing my screen, all right, am I? No. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Doctor Strange Love, the Brady Bunch movie. Oh, I love the Brady Bunch movie. I understand. Yeah, the Brady the Brady Bunch movie, just for sure, Jan. We can flip for it. <laughs> it is head, so Doctor Strangelove gets lucky. Doctor Strangelove, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Doctor Strangelove. Creed. Dr. Strangelove, Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. I agree with you on that one. Dr. Strangelove, Serenity. Dr. Strangelove. Agreed. Dr. Strangelove, Closer. Closer. Flip again. I do like Closer, but I like Dr. Strangelove a little bit better. You win this one. Dr. Strange Love the Born Ultimatum. Dr. Strange Love. Agreed. Dr. Strange Love American Graffiti. Ooh, I love American Graffiti. Dr. Strange Love. <laughs> American Graffiti. I'll go Dr. Strange Love. <laughs> uh, Dr. Strange Love Rocky Four. Dr. Strange Love. Yeah. I agree. Dr. Strangelove, The Hunger Game is Mockingjay Part 1. Dr. Strangelove. Sure. Agreed. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, Evil Dead. Dr. Evil Strangelove. Dead. I like Dr. St- I love Evil Dead, but I really like Same. Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. <laughs> Closer beat it, Sean. It won the coin flip. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we agreed other than... What was the other one we disagreed on before Sean? I forgot. doesn't matter. Oh, I chose the Brady Bunch Brady movie. Brady Bunch movie. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, I love that movie. Really that movie. I, will, I get it. I will watch that movie more than I will wa- rewatch Dr. Strangelove. I mean, I would have picked My Cousin Vinny over this. I mean, there's certain movies that I it's just something I love for every but I but I know it's Dr. Strangelove is better. <laughs> I grew up loving the Brady Bunch movie and the or the, the the Brady Bunch and the Brady Bunch movie was just satire enough, but still like had the show in its heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Anyway, Dr. Strangelove made it to 221 on our list. Uh, sh- just behind 2001 A Space Odyssey at 215. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll see you guys next week. All right. See ya. Bye. Yep.